0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield.
1: On the turnaround, want to be a second alone and then stand up and go. So, I've watched my team. Ah, no, well, I felt pretty alone in this moment. We are responsible. We are responsible that nobody can leave a stadium a minute before the last whistle. Because everything can happen and that's what we have to do. But, but we have to show. One of the biggest strengths of this club is, is the togetherness in, in, in difficult times, and if you want, these, these games are always the one moment when you really can show it. If you want, you can see Man City five times a week, pretty much, so. um, and you watch it and you see it and you know you have to wear this and deny that, and then you know, OK, all possible, but quite difficult. You need really good football team to do that. And. Thank God I have one. And I don't care if you are in a stadium, yes, that's good, love it, but I want to have even the full energy when you are at home, in front of television, in front of the laptop, in front of whatever, smartphone. If you are with us, then push us, that's it. There will be a moment for sure um, in the future when I I think back and hopefully it will be a different number then and not only six.
2: After 99 home Premier League games in charge, Jurgen Klopp leads Liverpool out for the 100th time at Anfield in league action on Sunday. And of course, it's no less than Manchester United, the visitors to Anfield. We're here with a special podcast on the Blood Red channel. Myself, Guy Clark, joined by Peter Hooten and Paul Philbin to chat through Jurgen Klopp's first 99 home league games in charge of the Reds, of course, currently presiding over a 67-game Unbeaten run, a club record. And Peter, up to you for sort of the, the statistics from Jürgen Klopp from the first ninety-nine home league games in charge are remarkable. He's had seventy-two wins, twenty-three draws, of course only four losses and sixty-seven unbeaten as in he's uh, he's been some appointment for the Reds, hasn't
3: he? It's just an unbelievable record and go through all the great managers, all the legends, Shankly, Paisley, Canny Daglish. And you look at their stats and he's absolutely blowing them apart. You know, it's unbelievable. Uh, Transformational, really. And I think everyone was hoping when he was appointed uh, that he would do that. But, you know, there's always an inkling in the back of your mind that, oh, well, it's the Premier League and it's all a lot of money's involved. And, you know, you've got the likes of Guardiola here, you know. So for what he's done and to take on Guardiola at City and to win the Premier League last year, Is unbelievable stuff,
2: Uh, Paul. What have have you made of Jurgen? He's been at the club now uh, over five years, but it's a landmark for him to sort of reach 100 home league games in charge. We all know how special the European nights have been, but there have been some memorable league games during that time as well, hasn't there?
4: Oh, absolutely, I think. Since he's come in, the whole club has transformed, and the fans, the mentality, of the fan base has changed. Like before, Klopp was, in, you'd be going to games, and there'd be games where the atmosphere'd be a bit dull. But but now you go to games, and there's this belief and even an arrogance amongst the supporters that no matter what we get over the line, really, and you can you can feel it in um, in the atmosphere, in games that like playing at home is all of a sudden a half decent atmosphere rather than you feeling like it's a half 12 kickoff and everybody's still in bed it has completely changed and from my experience going the game like obviously it's not as long as Peter's but it's the best time I've had in terms of watching the side as well like the togetherness in the club like between the fans and the players and Clock himself is like nothing I've ever experienced before to Chris.
2: Has that, Peter, maybe been sort of one of the most crucial parts Is to how sort of Jurgen Klopp has linked and I suppose reawoken the fan base to be that 12th man, that cliche, but sort of really he does sort of seem to have re-energised the cop and the fan base and obviously the, the comparis- comparisons with Shankly that are so often yeah. drawn.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the fan base generally uh, was psychologically damaged probably by uh, the Hickson's years, Gell- I think, the, it can be you can't um, overestimate that really. Uh, it's so it's ten years I think. Uh, last week when uh, Roy Hodgson left the club, you know, uh, we were damaged in that period, and there was a lot of disillusioned fans around. There was a lot of fighting between the fans, arguing between the fans in terms of what the direction is. Um, and then we had you know obviously we had uh, Kenny Dalglish and then Rodgers come, but Klopp was he was you know for for, for me when he came. It was the it was year zero really. Uh, it was the dawning of a new age, and I think the very fact that what he did against West Brom when he brought the players after um, getting a draw, you know, I think most people on the cop who understand the psychology of Liverpool Football Club knew what he was doing. Obviously, a lot, a lot of opposing fans, a lot of people in the media were mocking that, but I think we knew what he was doing. It was about a, a collective spirit, uh, and he was. He was saying to the fans, look, you've got to be part of this. It's your job. And that's what Shankly always used to say. And that's what, it's the psychology of, of, of Klopp that brought that on board. You know, and I think uh, when you look at it and, you, you, know, you know, people were saying, uh, remember the walkout on 77, which was, I think, February 2016. Klopp had a mysterious illness that day. No one really knows why he wasn't there, but he wasn't there. And it was almost like he didn't want to be quoted. I'm not sure why he wasn't there, but and it's never, you'll have to wait till his uh, autobiography probably. But I I get the impression that he didn't want to be saying anything that could be misconstrued against the fans uh, because of what he'd said in the past about everyone being together. And he wanted, uh, after the Palace game, and he said he he felt all alone. We were all agreeing with him. We were all agreeing with him on the cop because a lot of people, because of the disillusioned fan base, People became very cynical and they were thinking, oh, everything's going to go wrong instead of – and he, and it was a famous quote, wasn't it? He said, I'm going to turn people into believers. And that's what he did fairly quickly. Uh, the very fact that we got to a uh, cup final in his first year, you know, and then he continued that. He, he could see the improvements. The progression was there. So everyone eventually got on board, you know. It took a while. I and mean, it wasn't overnight. And we kept on saying on Ali La Rouge podcast that, you know, it's 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 important that the fans do get behind the team, even uh, if we're going through a bad patch.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. And that's something I wanted to sort of bring you in on, Paul, as well as the relationship between Jurgen Klopp and whether it be the cop or whether it be just Anfield as a whole, it's it's obviously he's he's a godlike sort of human being now for the Liverpool fan base. But he's had to sort of, I suppose, like Peter's saying, occasionally tell a few home truths of we need everyone together, we need to be all in this together to get to where we want to get to. It's not all been plain sailing, yet now he's
4: obviously created this fortress. Oh, absolutely. And a big part of it, like, being on the club, you don't get to see it as much, but I know what I do is in the main stand. And the amount of times they say the club turned down to the main stand and had a goal at them for... Either being nervous or kicking off about something, like calm down and stuff. That's all part of it as well because he doesn't want an anxiety or an edge in the in the crowd. He wants everyone together, singing off the uh, same sheet as the cliche goes, and like a force that to comes together that to gets to Liverpool over the line no matter what. Um, it's funny that Peter mentioned the. Two games there as well, Crystal Palace and Sunderland. I can remember the Palace game and it turned out to be waiting, or oh, like at the end, of it, look how empty it is. It was amazing, not in a good way, but it was like you looking, went wow, and it was easier to get off the ground after the Crystal Palace game than it was that Sunderland walkout because when that seventy-seven minutes came, everyone was going like it was that you think about like the ground being. And team near the end of the game and the, the message from both of them were completely different. And I think that, that clock would have agreed with that walk up that day. I'm sure of it.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. I'm I'm sort of fascinated as well, Peter, with the sort of you mentioned the psychology sort of of everything in, in how he's managed it. I suppose he, he took over a damaged Liverpool from coming so close. You mentioned Hicks and Gillette, but coming so close to winning the league title yeah. under Brendan Rodgers and felt like it would never happen. And even the comparison sort of with with Shankly, but how different football is now from it was even in the, the sort of 70s and 80s in terms of, he mentioned in that clip we played at the yeah. start, whether people are in the ground or whether they're at home watching on their tablets, their mobiles, their laptops. He mm. seems to connect with Liverpool fans no matter where you are. You can feel as though you are right, right there and right with it.
3: That's right, and that's, that's very important. And I always remember uh, there was a brilliant scarf in the, um, the early 70s which, with Liverpool with different flags from all around the world. And I had on the scarf, you know, supporters all around the world because that's what we were aspiring to be, a global club. And that's what we are now. And I think Klopp understands that, fundamentally understands that. And I think everything that he says, everything that he does, he, he seems to be looking at that global picture. Uh, And he wants, and he realises, I think, I think he was a bit shocked when he first came to Liverpool because he'd been used to Dortmund. Dortmund is a totally different uh, um, uh, structure and different demographic at the fans. It's still a very, very working class game in Germany and it's very cheap to get in. Things have changed, especially um, in the Premier League. Prices have gone up. A lot of the traditional fans are now watching in pubs. They're just as big fans, and and Klopp understands that. I think. I think that's very important, and I think the very fact that he's mentioning that means that he understands it. It's not just lip service. He isn't paying lip service. He wants fans who are even watching it at home, as you say, on the phone. He wants them behind the team. That's it. You know, it's 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 brilliant stuff.
2: Yeah, and even even sort of and paying lip service and things maybe. Paul Brendan Rogers was maybe a bit guilty at times of sort of coming out with big phrases yeah. and big sort of things that he d- he didn't need to at certain times, but. As Peter mentioned there, in in terms of the Premier League year and how it's changed, the fandom and the way people have consumed football has has changed a lot. Different fans are at games now, but Klopp sort of is able to somehow, and I don't know how he does it, but he appeals to the wide demographic that there is watching games, whether it's homegrown fans, whether it's foreign fans, whether it's working class or even middle class fans. He sort of seems to be able to get into absolutely everyone.
4: I think that the simple reason for that is because he's unified. everybody has only, um, from day one... He's had his message has been that everyone's in it together no matter what. He hear him speak, maybe we've won trophies and he's gone as far as the kitchen staff of uh, Melwood and stuff. Like, he wants everybody in it together. Uh, so I think it is that and I think the fan base understand that as well. Like You've got people from all over the world traveling to Anfield every game and in the past you think that they're for, the occasion like you go back to um when we played Real Madrid uh, under Rogers and it, that night it just felt like it just wasn't the same Anfield as what Anfield should be and then you look at the European Knights like, under Clark and all this is sort of Premier League games, but it's just completely different. There's, in the ground there's not that many people who would have been different from that Real Madrid night to so who was in chat who was there Club's first game, a few thousand maybe, because every week we've still got that core that is still going, but the mentality just changed like that overnight really. Like the Real Madrid game, it just felt like a parade for Real Madrid and wow, people are getting to see this great Real Madrid team and that's just completely changed now. It's like a front foot aggression from the fans.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. Let's let's sort of pick through some, some themes then and some key games that stand out. And we best, I suppose, start right at the beginning, Peter. Jürgen Klopp's first home game against Southampton. One all-draw and then, of course, it was the Crystal Palace game and the, uh, the game with West Bromwich Albion not long after, after beating Swansea City. But what were your first impressions of, of Jürgen Klopp and Jürgen Klopp at Anfield?
3: Uh, very positive, of course. You know, he wears his heart on his sleeve, does not he? So he, can, he was gesticulating on the touchline and he meant it. You could see he meant it. I mean, I think it's, it's that thing that we used to talk about, natural enthusiasm. He's obsessed with football and you can tell he's obsessed. It's not just a way for him to, uh, to get on the television and make a lot of money, you know. He's obsessed with football up to the point where he'll do anything and he'll study anything. And you, can, you could tell he, he was very uh, meticulous in the early days, but we weren't getting the results. I think that was re- him getting to know the squad and getting to know how poor the squad really was at that time, you know. Uh, and it wasn't, I think, in that first season, I think we'd be, I think we demolished City away, didn't we? I think. Um, I think it was that first season. And then everyone at the, um, at the Etihad was going, this is what we thought would happen immediately under Klopp. It took a few months, I think, but we could see the signs there. That when everything clicked, it, it really, uh, it really went into uh, that heavy metal football that he used to talk about. You know.
2: Yeah, yeah, Paul. It was only sort of I think two wins maybe in the first eight games or so at Anfield for Jurgen Klopp and even sort of like the, the 3-3 with Arsenal in the January, it did sort of feel as though it was that heavy metal football and things were thrashing around all over the place. And and really, I suppose Jurgen Klopp just throwing different players out there, seeing what they could all do and getting a chance to assess his squad. But it was clear to sort of see the energy with which he wanted to, to take Liverpool on the pitch. No,
4: absolutely. I think... The first few months to the end of last season was in just testing the waters with the players wasn't it and as you mentioned there's certain games that you remember where um you know right you've got an idea of what you be seeing over the next few years on the clock um but strange enough um the game that i remember when i went oh this could like you get a fear of the real here on the clock is strangely man united in the europa league when we beat them 2-0 like, you just, that night, it just felt like, and obviously, it was being like, the domestic rivalry, and that, that gave me, I came off the ground that night, and that felt like the, you got an idea of where Liverpool were going together on the pitch and off the pitch with how the fans reacted tonight. Of course, when you play Man United, everyone's going to be up for it, but that night just felt so different compared to um, other games. In previous years, and so soon after what we were watching come to the end of uh, Rodgers' time at Liverpool, it was the, that that game in particular was the biggest moment from for me from that first period of clock at Liverpool because it was against your local, not local rivals, but your rivals from 37 miles away or whatever, and it just felt yeah, here we go, we've got an idea of what's happening you know
2: And I suppose one of the the big things, Peter, is this unbeaten, long unbeaten home run. And it it didn't sort of take long into that, even that first full season, I think, wins over sort of reigning champions, Leicester City, Hull City and Watford. There was plenty of goals being scored at Anfield and maybe the early sort of signs that Liverpool were... We're looking to turn Anfield back into a fortress where teams would arrive and be scared because it sort of seemed at the back end of the Rogers spell in charge of Liverpool that it was no longer somewhere to be feared going and teams were coming to, to Liverpool and quite enjoying playing at Anfield.
3: Yeah, I think that had been um, happening over the years, though, really. I think it hadn't, uh, hadn't been a fortress for many years, really. Uh, I think the fact that he's turned it into a fortress again is remarkable because, you know, everyone knows that any Premier League team can beat any other Premier League team on the day. So to go this length without on, on an unbeaten run is, you know, you can't really describe that, you know, because going back to the Paisley and Dagley stage, you could expect that because of Liverpool's dominance. Uh, now you've got the likes of City, uh, you know, and so you can't, you, you don't expect that, but for him to be able to do that, he's uh, his worked his work wonders and I think uh, he has turned it into a fortress and now it becomes, I know people saying now, even though we weren't playing well for a few weeks, people saying, no, I hope we don't lose our unbeaten runner at Anfield because it becomes, the further it goes, the greater the achievement it is, you know.
2: Yeah, we'll get on to whether we think they can maybe surpass Chelsea's Premier League record. But, Philbo, just sort of on some of the standout moments, of course, haven't now lost in the league at Anfield since April 2017, but how big was that 4-3 win over Manchester City in January 2018, do you think, of just sort of... Putting a, a flag in the ground almost is to say to Manchester City, you've come here. Obviously, City don't have a good record at Anfield, but you've come here. We've seen you off, and we really are now sort of up for the fight and, and playing you even at your own game, taking you sort of blow for blow. And obviously, sort of blew Manchester City away in that game before they got a
4: few late goals. Yeah, it's been a bit of a thing. Um, We're clapping City and Anfield, as not We have blown away, not just um, once or twice. It seems to be every season part in uh, you know, the uh the year. But it was a strange game because Van Dyke had just signed but he was out injured or something, wasn't he? And um, so everyone for some reason was well, an obvious reason was a bit concerned about it because Van Dyke weren't playing that early and we just blew them away um, so emphatically but then there was the, that bit of a, the scare near the end where they scored two quick goals and then we were handing on a bit for injury time and that was kind of um, really the last time we saw that so-called rock and roll football where there was like four guns plays and it could end any score because after that those kind of results kind of disappeared until, well, after Liverpool won the title and you start getting five threes against Chelsea and other things like that because became a maturity that the start of Van Dijk and then obviously Alison Fabinho and other players were brought in to kind of move away from that because even though it's entertaining to watch I think everybody knew if you're going to go blow for blow with teams and have to win 4-3 every week and are things with like that higher you need to um, a strong spine to win games game 1-2-0 I think that was a sign for City but Liverpool was a real deal. What improvements were going to come in the end, uh, which they
2: did in no time, really. Yeah, and I suppose with all the, with all of that, and sort of the atmosphere within Anfield, Peter, and just sort of how yeah. Liverpool and now sort of taken again to City and shown what they could do. The following season, of course, came so close to winning the title, but and mm. always two games that always stick in my mind were the games towards the back end of that 2018-19 season, the two-one win over Tottenham and the 2-0 win over Chelsea, and just. How Jurgen Klopp, I suppose, in my opinion, I wasn't at the ground, but sort of just watching and sensing the atmosphere at the ground, was how he sort of helped manage the crowd through it. Liverpool had this long wait for a Premier League title and there was nervousness in the ground. Mm. Yet after scoring those goals, everything sort of seemed to be fine. But how Jurgen Klopp didn't let that emotion and nervousness, anxiety almost transfer onto the field and onto the players.
3: That's right, yeah. I think it's important, if you go back to what you're talking about, the City game. In that season, it felt like we had to score four to win a game, uh, that we might concede two or three and put ourselves under pressure. By the time the games you're talking about there, Tottenham and Chelsea, um, we felt as if you know we could win 2-0 and we wouldn't have to get four goals to beat them. You know, uh, I mean, you've got to look back at, um, at the players he had in 2018. I think Carrius was in goal for that City game. And you had Lovren and Matić as the central defenders. And, you know, by the time um, we looked like genuine challengers, you know, you had the dominant figure of Van Dijk and Alisson in goal, and it, it, that transformed the whole setup. We didn't; it didn't look like we had to score, uh, you know, three or four goals to win a game. You know, and I think that's what Klopp was trying to convey to the crowd: this is not like it was. <laughs> I think uh, I think there was an element of that. He was trying to calm people down because we we'd, we'd had this uh, mindset that you've got to score all these goals because uh, in the past we'd had uh, goalkeepers who might not have been up to our standards, you know, and uh, that I think by then we were genuine contenders, and I think obviously City pipped us to it in that in that uh, season, but you could see Guardiola well, was nearly having a nervous breakdown, and you watched the documentary on him. That's exactly what he was doing. And then the following season, it you know it it it'd been broken really by uh, by Klopp you know by the uh, the unmovable force of uh, of Jurgen Klopp it was, it was like he, he didn't know what to do Guardiola he did know he didn't know how to handle it he'd never come across it before you know and this was supposedly the greatest manager the world had ever
2: seen in Guardiola you know
0: the blood red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
2: When you think about it, Phil, well, just in terms of that, how that nervousness maybe of the spring before of Liverpool going so close, but keeping up that relentless pace by the t- by the same same time, sort of last season came around, not even into the springtime, but once the season was getting into the crucial part as it were to be in the autumn and Liverpool just kept putting these wins together Man City obviously came to Anfield and got blown away but there was those sort of wins I know away at Aston Villa but at home to Leicester City those last minute wins those edgy wins that Liverpool I say edgy but everyone sort of always
4: felt as though it was under control Yeah um, it, it was from the first minute of last season though I think everybody knew that we could run that race again because of how good we we'd been, uh, the previous season, we were European champions, so there was kind of a more relaxed feeling amongst the supporters because we'd finally won a trophy that we went far too long without. And, yeah, it was... Early on the season, there was still that nervousness because City started well. We'd started well as well. And then as the months went on, everybody started getting calm until it was... So close, like we can remember, when we played Southampton in the start of February. There was a bit of an edge early on to that game. So as it got closer, there was that nervousness again, and you kind of understand that really because of so many close calls in recent times. You just want to get that over the line. But the period from November through to then, it was an absolute god. Everybody was enjoying going to match. Nobody was really bothered about what the result elsewhere because. Liverpool were completely in control and obviously that's not the case this season so far. So I don't know how fans would be dealing with (laughs) with it right now if we were all inside the ground.
2: No, definitely. But I suppose we've sort of had 10 months now of no supporters in the ground, Peter. And maybe Mm -hmm. beginning to sort of see signs of just actually the impact Jurgen Klopp had on Anfield and the home crowd and then transferably how that impacts and helps the team. Having come in and sort of saying I felt all alone and then energising yeah. the crowd and getting them on side, now with no-one being there, we even saw maybe against the against Tottenham, 2,000 there on yeah. the cop. but the impact that they have, and now all of a sudden there are no yeah. fans there and things maybe not quite going the way that Liverpool yeah. maybe would have done if, the, if there was a full Anfield.
3: I, I was able to get to the Tottenham game. I, I was successful on the ballot, and I think it was... I think it was the Wolves game before that, was it? Yeah. Uh, uh, and it was significant that uh, we played brilliance in both of those games. You know, absolutely fantastic. Uh, and I think that's because there, were, there was a crowd there making a bit of a noise. So immediately the players feel different. And it's a it's a shame that you know um, fans can't be in the in the uh, in the ground against Manchester United. But obviously, with the public health reasons, we understand that you know. But I think, yeah, I think it must be a very must be a very strange thing for players who've been used to these deafening noises over the years to play in in empty stadium. And it, it reminds me of maybe the under 23s or whatever. Uh, the feeling of um, this is a this is a preseason friendly. It's got that feeling to it, hasn't it? They're not getting the crowd noises in the stadium, are they? They're just getting the silence and the hearing the shouts, you know. So it is a great shame, but I think hopefully, uh, you know, if the public health situation improves and we can get fans back in the ground, I think it'll be really significant because I think uh, uh, you could see that against Wolves and Tottenham, that really lifted the players. I'm sure it did.
2: Yeah, Phil, well, on that point, I suppose the fans obviously crucially missing going to games, but when Project Restart first kicked off, you're seeing the players on social media sharing pictures of the banners and things on the cop saying, oh, we wish you were here and stuff, but I suppose it's not only until time goes on, you've had the fans return in a small number and then go again that actually you really do feel just what's quite set in with no supporters being there. At the
4: end of the day, it's the players' job to play football, and like, it. I don't want to compare ourselves to footballers but working from home it's just the same you don't have that positive your colleague and being able to talk to somebody it's the same thing so if you're going to work basically and it's not how it should be and how you should like it's hard i think personally it's harder to get up but i think the players will be feeling that it's hard on the fans as well and the players because this group of players is a thank you really from every single one of us for what they've done over the past few years and then obviously winning the title in the uh, in the summer. So yeah, it's it's hard, but it is what it is at the minute and sadly it's the, the right thing to be doing right now because of what's going on in the world and hopefully in time these players will get what he deserves and Klopp because he deserves a massive
2: thank you as well from a full Anfield really Yeah no definitely completely echo your uh, thoughts there that they they really do deserve that adulation let's talk then about the the unbeaten run in the game against Manchester United that will be Klopp's centenary in the league at Anfield and uh, looking at Premier League records Liverpool currently 67 games unbeaten in the Premier League the record was of course set and ended Famously by Liverpool, Chelsea's uh, eighty-six game unbeaten record at Stamford Bridge. Do you think there's a chance this Liverpool side can look to that? Is it too sort of still twenty games or so away from it? Is it too early to be looking at that? Or
3: I think it's too early, especially with uh, the injuries we've got. You know, I think um, you know it's been a tremendous run, sixty-seven games, unbelievable. But you know, it's it's probably a bit too early to look at that uh, Chelsea record. If we had our full side. I wouldn't. I'd have no doubts about it. But um, obviously, we're having to uh, play players in different positions, aren't we, to cope with the injury list. So I think it is a bit too early. But even if it was ended, uh, it's not going to be ended by Man United, by the way. <laughs> that's my uh, that's my prediction. But even if it was ended by an unlikely team, you know, uh, I think Liverpool are always up for those big games. But it's the struggle against the. Uh, Teams who you're not expecting much from, you know. If it was to end, it's just been a fantastic run, and you can't, you know. What more do you want? You know, it's sixty-seven games unbeaten at home. It's you know, three seasons, isn't it? Really? Was it? Was yeah. it
2: four? Yeah. It's yeah, coming four, cu- coming up towards four. Yeah, it is coming up yeah, towards yeah. four. If if they if they do get sort of April, it will be four years. Yeah, yeah. since since the last defeat, and I, I, I suppose Phil, well it is sort of significant that Manchester United are the next team to come to Anfield. But as Peter even referenced earlier, without the fans there even, the unbeaten record is something even on top of going for the league and things that will drive the players on to continue to sort of reach new heights.
4: No, absolutely. I, don't, I, I agree with Peter. I'm, I don't think Man United are going to be ending that record uh, this weekend, I think. Liverpool's best performances, as you've seen since the, behind 12 doors, have been against the bigger sides and then against the so-called lesser sides. We, there's been times where we have struggled. I don't think there'll be any difference uh, come Sunday, uh, to be honest. Probably the best game to come around for Liverpool, considering um, how we've been playing and the, uh, the injuries. I think everybody will just have that extra 10% in them. So... I should be able to uh, get it over the line, and I do fancy a Sunday
2: earlier. Yeah, the form has Peter been a bit shaky recently, but I suppose this is, in many ways, the game that you would have cherry picked as sort of Philbo so said the big performance this yeah. season. The likes of Leicester and Arsenal have just been absolutely flattened when they've come to Anfield. Yeah, I
3: think you've also got to realise that a lot some of the players, you know, Mane and, and Salah both. Uh, getting over COVID, aren't they? Really, you know. I'm I'm sure that's affected them somehow. You know, um Manchester United at home is the perfect game to bounce back. It is, you know. I did an interview with uh, United. We stand last week. They can't believe that that's the main Man United fansy. They can't believe they're in this position. Neither can we. You know, when you look at the performances, um and you look at the way Man United. Have, I mean. Fernandez has transformed them. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, I think um, Klopp versus, uh, versus Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, you know, I don't think... I, I can see there being a, a match between Guardiola and Klopp, but I think Klopp will have have things worked out for Sunday. I think he, he really will, you know. Some brilliant players United have got, but they just don't seem to function. Um, as As a team, we've seen that in Europe in the past, you know, and... You see, um, Ollie Gunnar sort of looking a bit um, surprised about what what's going on on the pitch, you know. But obviously, with those players, because they are world class players like Sepogbe and Rashford, uh, they can harm you. They can harm you, you know. So it, it just depends on uh, if Liverpool are for it on the day. Uh, I can only see one winner, you know. And uh, um, as I say, the United fans just can't believe they're in that position, you know. Same yeah, as the definitely. Everton fans, probably. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Phil well then before we we go just a word on even the game last season at Anfield between Liverpool and Manchester United. Was that the moment obviously we didn't know what was to come in terms of fans not being allowed in in grounds but that 2-0 win, the Salah moment right at the end, that felt to be the moment that everyone believed that the wait was going to end and the title was going to be heading back to Anfield.
4: Breaks my heart to say that I wasn't worth that day because <laughs> I um, obviously we have to wait the other weekend, and that was my weekend that was put in. But I can remember saying, to so like the lads in the WhatsApp group before, and it was like today, today it, it's gonna be sung, We'll score late, and it'll just go completely off. And I remember watching in the office, and I don't mind missing the uh, old home game through where if it happens and stuff. But I've never been so jealous. <laughs> it, I I hit kick myself to the day. Still now that I went in the ground that day because. Watching it on the telly, I had goosebumps because it was so loud. I can't even imagine what it would have been like in the, in the stadium. But I know that was the day that people like finally saw But I think it's Peter, right? Like, you know, it was Leicester away. That was the day that was grabbing the title back on Boxing Day. But to where it so early on was yeah, it was incredible early.
3: Yeah, I was banned actually from um, saying that. You know, any any prospect of winning the league. Uh, I think after the Leicester away on Boxing Day, people seemed to come to the conclusion that, you know, this could be our season, you know. But I think it was the United game at home when you see Salah uh, running away and the defender trying to pull him back, really, and just slotting the ball. And um, we went in the pub. Remember those days when we used to, go to the pub after the game? Everyone then was saying, well, like, OK, you can say it now, you know. Uh, because we didn't want to jinx it, I think that was the dawn realization then that you know this is this is a special team, you know.
2: Yeah, no, Manchester United haven't lost an away Premier League game since then. So about time that they rock up at Anfield and that record is set straight. We'll have to see how things do play out. But Peter and Paul, thanks for joining us for this special here on the Blood Red channel as we look back on Jurgen Klopp's 99 home Premier League games in charge so far. The 100th, of course, seeing Manchester United come to Anfield. Well, before we go here on this special Blood Red podcast, looking back at Jurgen Klopp's first 100 league games in charge at Liverpool, I'm glad to say that with a man who had a front row seat, is that right, Christian, a front row seat to Jurgen Klopp's unveiling and obviously all of the the magic that has since come with him being Liverpool manager.
0: I was about three rows back, I think. Guy, um, I was I was in between a rose in between two fans. I was in between <laughs> former Liverpool Echo Sports editor John Thompson and uh, our former and, and much beloved Andy Kelly. Um, so yeah, that 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 that's where uh, my um, my vantage point was for for the for the first day at Anfield with Jurgen Klopp. What were your first
2: impressions the press conference and then the first home game, of course, against Southampton as well? What was the feel at the time around the club of? I suppose the coup that Liverpool have managed to bring this guy off of a sabbatical early and obviously the pedigree with which he came?
0: I think coup is the right word. I think it's easy to forget now because Liverpool are at that level and because Jürgen Klopp has brought him to that level so they are seen as one. That when Klopp came, it really did feel like Liverpool had somehow pulled off one of the heists of the century by getting one of the best managers of of the 21st century. Um You know, Liverpool the season before uh, had been really disappointing under Brendan Rodgers. He'd started the season very, very averagely. Um, You know, the 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 summer before as well, there had been all the discussions. FSG basically had a bit of a high high noon summit about Brendan Rodgers' future and he decided to keep him. Um, but obviously, what well, one of the reasons that that happened was because half of the backroom staff went, but Brendan kept his job. Um, so it, it felt for all intents and purposes that this was what was Liverpool were going to stick with for, at the very least, the next 12 months. So eight games into a season, um, for Liverpool to sort of realise it, it simply wasn't working at Liverpool for Brendan Rodgers anymore, and then to go after somebody of the calibre of Klopp, I remember when when the news of, of Rogers break happened and and you you know we we were sort of told pretty early that you know Klopp and Ancelotti were were the two managers that, that Liverpool were looking for. And you just thought slightly on based on what had gone on, you know, over the course of the previous five years. I know there was 13-14, but take that out over the course of the previous five years, Liverpool were punching above the weight here. So a bit of a whirlwind week where you know Klopp obviously is is very much becomes the number one man for the job. He flies into Liverpool, he signs the contract, it gets announced, he does his LFC TV interview on the, I think it was the Friday morning, um, and then all of a sudden you're there in the in the main in in the main stand. It wasn't the press room at the time because the, the main stand was getting renovated. It was I think it was the trophy room. And in walks this this man, and this will sound absolutely ridiculous in terms of, and I'm really kind of over the top, but he, he was so tanned, and so um, he just had this aura about him where he was clearly refreshed. And I think the second he walked through the door, it felt like everything around Liverpool was refreshed as well. You know, he, he looked so ready for this challenge. He did his press conference, which was obviously, you know, pitch perfect, you know, every note absolutely landed. Um, he obviously came out with the with the with the moniker of, of the normal one, which sold papers, of course, and, and and game page views on 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 their websites. But you know, he said so much more about that about Liverpool and why he joined and that kind of thing. Um, and I think you you left. It was a good 20, 25 minute press conference publicly, and I think you left. It's also thinking, wow, this man's really impressive. Um, you know if he talks, if his game's as good as his talk as his talk is, we're in business here. Obviously, I don't want to sort of be negative about Brendan, but sometimes one of the accusations leveled towards him is that his, his game never really matched his talk, uh, certainly not apart from the 13 14 season. So it was a little bit of caution, I suppose. Of you know, this guy's had a bit of a difficult year at the end of Dortmund, um, when obviously I think he finished seventh in the end, but they were bottom of Christmas, so you know, a little bit of cautious optimism, but then. I was fortunate enough to be in the Sunday breakouts. Um so we went off to a, a little side room with him. And first impression there with a, not a one-to-one meeting because there were obviously other journalists there, but you know, face to face, if you will, uh, number one God he's tall, uh, which is something that people don't think really realise. But, you know, speaking about Andy Kelly before he towers over Andy Kelly, he's about six foot four. And secondly, just the, the calm and the assuredness of, of what he was saying and I think one of the big things he did at the start was sow seeds for what we're seeing today, but he never over-promised. never over promised. He never wanted to sort of say, this will absolutely happen. He was straight away in the first press conference and the first breakout afterwards, making it clear that this is a project. This is something that's going to take a little bit of time. And it's also going to need patience and buy-in from the supporters. So once he got that message out there, First and foremost, it was it was kind of like right. Okay, we know where we are with 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 Jurgen Klopp. We know this might take a little bit of time, but we know that he's got a plan here to get Liverpool back to the summit.
2: Yeah, it seems fitting, like you say, talking of the, the trophy room, that that was where it was sort of done. Obviously, the, the accolades he's brought to Liverpool, but as you say, the, the main stand being renovated obviously expanded, that being something obviously done by FSG. But with this manager, it sort of feels as though it's right that Liverpool, having had this cathedral almost in Anfield that has stood the test of time, even sort of through the, the renovations it had in the, in the 90s. But from the 80s and 70s, it's not always changed all too much. Yes, obviously, you've sort of had the, the centenary stand and things, but now it's you've got the main stand, the Anfield road stand is going to be getting done as well. It feels as though Jurgen Klopp really has sort of moved Liverpool forward both on and off the pitch. But in terms of him reaching 100 home league games in charge now of Liverpool, I just want to sort of with uh, with Peter and Paul, we spoke through some of the, the key games. I just wondered which ones sort of stick out for you. That There are the early ones I suppose with Palace, West Brom and even the Sunderland one in that first season. But then some of the big results that came that sort of really made do you think this this is going in the direction that we all think it could have done right from that very first press conference?
0: I think there's there's a couple of games in 1617. I 1516 was a very interesting season as well, in terms I mean, as you mentioned, a few of the games there, you know, obviously everyone will points to West Brom. Just as a, a very quick aside, it's funny you mentioned the main stand because for this for the first season, because it's renovated, the press room wasn't ready. Um, because they were rebuilding that the can you know the canteen in terms of where the press seats and, and obviously the press conference room. So he, he was doing when he was doing press conferences in, in the same room every time, but for breakouts he'd be in sort of the community lounge, he'd be in a, in a in a player's lounge, he'd be sort of in this tiny little cramped side room. Um which which was you know it just sort of made you realise that, you know, there, there's still a lot of work to do on and off the pitch. Um and you know goodness knows what clock what must have thought when he sort of you know, talking with these journalists in in every room around uh, Anfield's main stand, which hasn't got a construction sign on it, um, you know, in terms of Anfield wins, I mean, you know, the 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 opening of the main stand with that four one win against, you know, if you remember the champions Leicester City, um, that that was a that was an incredible moment because it, it really was probably one of the first games where Liverpool showed that they could assert the dominance in, in such a way, and um, they, they were absolutely electric. Um, you know, at that time, you didn't have Mo Salah, of course, but they still had Sadio Mane. They had Roberto Firmino. I think Daniel Sturridge started as well. And it was just a real attacking clinic of against, the, obviously, the, the reigning champions, albeit you know, a lot of people thought that they wouldn't be able to replicate that in, in this particular season. And it was just a feeling of a new era, in a way, because I, I can't really convey. I mean, I was in the press box for that one. Um, but, you know, I've, I've obviously been in there a number of times since, uh, as a supporter as well, and I don't think it can really convey the difference sitting in that main stand is compared to the old main stand. It, it's it's a completely different experience, and I know people talk about the gentrification of football, and you know, people might have a pop of things like you know the Emirates because the seats are all really spaced. Look, the seats are spaced out on the new main stand, but but it's all the better for it because p- people. Can, can sort of feel comfortable. They can stand. It, it got fresh blood into there, and obviously you've got Klopp at the front of there in the dugout. So it all just sort of worked really well. That like you've got this this new guy that you really want to follow, who's going to try and lead your football club into into another halcyon era. And you know you're sort of in this new stand, surrounded by new people. And, and it just felt really vibrant. You're obviously getting a couple of extra hundred uh, thousand in there, so it was, um, you know, I think Leicester was a was a big one. I think one of the other ones that that that's sticking in my mind from that particular season. If we're talking about you know moments that that really uh, hit off the night against Manchester City was was basically a European night. Uh, Liverpool win one 0 with an early goal from Genie Wijnaldum, but this is at a time when. You know, Liverpool started a bit of an outside chance of the of the Premier League title and Chelsea uh, had done a bit of a city as its come to be known or indeed a bit of a Liverpool they were looking at last year um and and they sort of started to to run away with it but you know Liverpool beat man City on New Year's Eve and it's, it's a tight tense game you know city you've got City. I think are probably you know one of the one of the best teams in Europe back then even though obviously they're not necessarily the juggernaut to be coming in 17 18. But it was a really, it sort of was the precursor of, of what was to come between Klopp and Pep. And, you know, as I say, an early Alden goal, some really good rear guards. Um, I think I actually gave Wijnaldum a 10 that day on my play ratings, which brought a little bit of ire from Ian Doyle. but. It was the, the as I say the, the sort of the preview of what will come from Liverpool Man City games, and then finally from that season I think there's the, the, there's a real Liverpool go off not not off the rails but you know they, they, they lose a couple of games and it looks like the top four challenge certainly the title challenge I mentioned before has has got off course, and then they beat Tottenham at Anfield and about two three weeks later they beat Arsenal at Anfield and they were both in the mix for the top four at the time. And, you know, those were games where very similar to, to what we see nowadays. Liverpool hit them early. I think the 2-0 up against Tottenham in, in the first 20, potentially. Um, against Arsenal, again, they, they, they hit the front. Sadio Mane is an absolute you well know, beater in, in both of these games. And, um, you know, I think those kind of games, you look at that season, and this is the season before Liverpool even qualify for the Champions League, you know, they're beaten. Manchester City at home under the lights, the beaten Tottenham at home under the lights, the beating Arsenal at home under the lights, and that really set the the idea of what what could be coming and how this synergy between Klopp and feels you know and those those sorts of occasions what what, what was to come basically. There is this uh,
2: 67 game unbeaten run, of course, at Anfield that Liverpool are reigning over. But how significant, Christian, just before we go, is it that Manchester United are the opposition for the 100th game? I always sort of think back to the, the win in December 2018, the 3-1 over Jose Mourinho's side, the end of Mourinho. For me, it sort of felt as though this was now Klopp reawakening Liverpool, a new modern Liverpool. He's seen off Benitez's old adversary in Mourinho, he's put pay to Manchester United and cost Mourinho his job and now this really was Liverpool with consistent onslaughts for the title.
0: Absolutely. You know, talking about those moments before that Anfield and what, what the thing that, that was lacking until 1819 against Manchester was a win against Manchester United at Anfield. Um I think they, they lost one nil in Klopp's first game where Rooney scores late on and then of course you've got a, a couple of nil-nil draws. So you know it, it is one of the defining games because the Manchester United game this is a time it's so hard to I suppose remember because so much has happened since. But this is when Liverpool were kind of neck and neck with with, with Manchester City. You know, it's the 97 versus 98 point season, and any potential slip up was was absolutely you know a killer blow to, to Liverpool's title hopes. And you know, Liverpool were were far the better team. Mourinho turns up really, really under the cosh in terms of. Basically, if he was to lose, he'd lose his job and, you know, obviously it proves to be true. Um, But, you know, he turns up with a flat back eight. Um, he, he dogs a, an equaliser, despite Liverpool being the better team after a very um, uncharacteristic Allison Becker mistake. Uh, and then it was just that relentlessness. And, you know, I spoke earlier about... That City game, that Tottenham game, that, that Arsenal game. This was very, very similar. You know, this was this was Liverpool under the lights. It was you know they'd had the European nights by now, obviously against Man City uh, in 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 2018. But this was this was the relentlessness of of, of Liverpool and the old school. You know, the cop pulling the balling. You know, I, I don't necessarily believe in that kind of thing. I think you know, good fitness and coaching and 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 mixing up your tactics is far more important than what the cop are doing, but they were giving that extra 5% because Liverpool knew they had to score. Liverpool knew that Manchester City were very rarely going to slip up, so they absolutely had to. And, you know, it, 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 it took Zidane Shakeri coming off the bench just to score two late on in the last 17 minutes. But it was it was that sort of game where, although Manchester United weren't necessarily considered one of the, the you know, certainly weren't considered in the same classes as Manchester City. They did finish the, the, the season seconds the year before, Um, They had beaten Liverpool in the previous game at Old Trafford and this was a a flag on the ground, if you will, from from Liverpool and from Jurgen Klopp to say this is what our team is about. We either will will blow you away with with some fantastic football to begin with or if if we don't and if this becomes a grind, this football team is is more than capable and is probably more capable than, than any other team on the planet of grinding out, wearing people down, and making sure that we get the three points. And what you see there, you know, two goals late in the last 17 minutes, we, we see it over and over again, don't we? Going, you know, not necessarily at Anfield, but of course the season after, we see so many late comebacks um, and, and, and big wins. So, you know, that Manchester United game, it, it was a, a fantastic occasion in the 90 on its own. But it, again, similar to the, to the games I mentioned before, it, it was a precursor to what was coming because it showed that Liverpool could solve problems. Liverpool could play against deep line defenses. Liverpool could essentially be so relentless that the, that something would have to give eventually. And you know, ultimately it did against Manchester United. It wasn't to be the season of 1819 in terms of the league. But of course, 1920, as you mentioned there in terms of the the, the long unbeaten run. I think 18 wins and one draw and that draw coming against Burnley in a behind closed door scenario with the league already won. You know that that's that's one of cops and indeed one of the Premier League's most astonishing achievements in a season. Um, so I think that is sort of the, the headline, if you will, of, of what cops achieved. The fact that you can go 19 games and not win or only one of them is is a testament to him and and the mentality and the ability of the squad he's put together.
2: Yes, yeah, certainly. Well, we will be gripped on Sunday watching on as Jurgen Klopp leads Liverpool out for the 100th time in the Premier League at Anfield. But Christian, thanks a lot for your time and sharing your memories as we round up here on this special edition of the Blood Red podcast, looking ahead to Jurgen Klopp's Anfield Centenary. Remember, you can leave us a comment in the comment section if you are listening in on YouTube or if you're listening in on any of our regular podcasts. But to do leave us a rating. And review. That is always more that appreciated. But thanks for your time and your company here on Blood Red. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.